Because last week, what did we talk about? The vastness, the hugeness of Christ. Just how huge he is. And, uh, and, and how great he is and how mighty and how marvelous and how magnificent he is. And so we're going to pick up that again today. And we're going to talk about this third message in this uh, called the uh, churches that can experience Christ's victory. Churches that can experience Christ's victory. We want to experience that. Amen. So let's pray and let's get into the Word of God. Revelation chapter 2. If you got your Bibles, we'll be looking at chapter 2 and chapter 3. We're taking a big picture perspective. So we're going through, we're going to go through a lot of chapters quickly and taking the big picture. We talked about Stepping back and getting a larger perspective rather than focusing in, narrowing down on the, on, uh, on the small things. We talked about the Monet picture that we looked at the first week and talked about how when you're narrowed into those impressionist painting, uh, sometimes you can't tell what it is. But when you step back, you get this grand picture of, of, of a beautiful artwork. And so that's what we're doing with the book of Revelation. We're going to step back and get this glorious picture of what Christ is trying to reveal to us through the pages of this book, we know that it was given by God the Father, given to the Son, and we know that it then was taken and given from the Son through an angel or messengers to John, and John then in turn wrote down what he saw in, uh, in this cosmic picture of Jesus, in this cosmic scene in the portals of heaven and on earth, what God is doing uh, from here on out. And we talked about how it was a wonderful revelation of, uh, we, we saw the first revealing with Simeon and others at the first revelation where we got a picture of him as Messiah, but now we're getting this great cosmic picture of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. God's wanting to reveal something even greater. He's bestowed on his Christ a name. That is, that, is, that is higher than any other name. And so we're, we're, we're privileged, his followers, to be able to see into this and to see what is going on there and what, it, what, right, what was, what is, and what is, is to come. And we're getting to see all of that. And so we're invited into the plan of God for the ages. And I'm absolutely uh, grateful to be part of that and to be invited into that. So let's pray and let's continue to look and see what God has to say to us in these uh, seven wonderful churches that we read about in the book of Revelation. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, so much for this day. We thank you for the people here, God. I know there's people gone traveling today. I know there's people that are at drill, God, uh, and uh, we, we just pray for those who are not able to be here for whatever reasons, God, and we just uh, thank you for those that are here and able to be here. We thank you for those that, uh, God, that you brought, uh, God, that have been battling uh, intense things in their body, and now they're here, God, and we're just grateful for answered prayers, God. We thank you for this church and this church body, this church family, the way they look after each other and care for one another, God. We're so grateful for that, and I believe that's going to become even more, uh, God, vital in the days that we move into. So, Lord, we just pre appreciate one another. We appreciate your body, and we thank you for you and for your word, God, and your promises, God. And we just ask you to open this up to us today and Speak to our hearts and change our lives through this book, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So last week, as we said, we're stepping back. We're taking a big picture, and we got into chapter uh, 1. We finished the book of chapter 1. The first week, we covered three chapters, which we said was kind of the puzzle top. The Kind of uh, if you're building a puzzle, uh, sometimes you want to look at the box top to tell what you're building. 
If you're doing a game, a new game, you want to read all the, all the instructions so you can get the fullness thereof. So we were kind of looking at the box top that first week to get a good picture. And then we went through the rest of chapter 1, which was the revealing or this revelation of this glorious Christ, this cosmic Christ who is massive. And, and that's what we wanted to get last, year, last week was to grab the idea that God, that, that God has bestowed upon Christ this, this massive thing. He is massive. He is, he, is, he is glorious. He is big. He's bigger than your mind can even imagine or you could ever think of. We, we talked about the one whose eyes are like fire and his uh, hair is white like wool and his feet are like varnished brass. And we talked about how his voice is like the sound of roaring in many waters. And we, we talked about how he, John turned and looked at this Jesus, this cosmic Jesus standing in the middle of the golden lampstands. He's not, he's not ready to do away with those people. He loves them. Yes, he's coming with judgment, but it's a judgment to refine them and bring them back to what he wants them to do and be so the gates of hell will not prevail against them. And he's walking there and they're golden, they're precious, they're beautiful. And he's already said he redeemed them in, ver- in, in the first chapter. He loves them. And, uh, and so that's what we see here. And, and verse five is something in chapter one that I want you really to kind of meditate before we get going on it because sometimes we read these things and we just rush through them. If you're like me, I'm a check the box type of guy. I like to feel like I've accomplished a lot. So if I read something, I want to, man, I want to fly through it and read the whole chapter and man, like, wow, you did something, Brad. And so, but a lot of times in doing that, you miss some of the greatest things in the Word of God. And one of those places is right here because it says here in verse 5 of chapter 1, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, and here's what you want to get, to him who loved us. Please don't rush over that statement right there. To him who loved us. He loves us. Amen? Oh, how He loves you and me. Oh, how He loves you and me. Amen? He gave His life. What more could He give? Oh, how He loves you and me. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so to Him who loved us, and I want you to just think on that because, because this cosmic Jesus now, this, this great I am, this wonderful creator, this glorified risen Savior loves us and he walks among us. He walks among us. He walks among the lampstand. He's working among us right now. He's working among us, folks. He loves you and he's working in the midst of this congregation right now. Amen? But guess what? This book also reveals an adversary named Satan. And he makes him very real in the pages of this scripture. He makes a demonic horde very real. And he's walking amongst us too as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he is manipulating us. And he is trying to manipulate us to the point where we don't see this love. Or we distort this love. Or we don't understand this love. And we don't see things the way the risen Christ, the cosmic Jesus is trying to say, I'm the one who loves you, and I'm working amongst you, 
And I'm not giving up on you. And I care for you. And, I, and I'm here. And so, so, so Satan is trying to manipulate this revelation of Christ. This view of Christ that we're supposed to have. Uh, he's trying to keep you from the hugeness of this Christ. That's why I hope you don't just go past this study and say, well, he finished chapter 1 and I'm not going back there. No, go home and read about it and meditate on it and look at this cosmic Jesus and look at these angels serving him and look Look at the hugeness and the vastness of Jesus over and over and over and over until the Spirit reveals it to you and you see this Jesus, how great and how magnificent and how wonderful because there is an adversary that wants to paint him Mr. Rogers-like or real small-like or one of those fake paintings we have of him that, 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 uh, that don't depict him correctly, That's just uh, that aren't him. He's not some blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy. This is the Jesus Christ. Christ of the scriptures. He's way better than that. He's way better than that picture your grandmama had on the wall. That's not Jesus. That's not the God of this Bible. He's way different from that. And Satan is manipulating you to try to make you not see the hugeness of him and the hugeness of his love to you. The height, nor the depth, nor the width of God's love towards, towards you that He has towards you now through His Christ. And, and Satan is seeking to undermine this vision. And that's why this revelation is so important. And God wants to give it to His Christ to reveal to His followers. He wants you to have this. He wants you to see this. He wants you to see His hugeness, His vastness, and His love. And Jesus is, 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 is in the midst of these churches and He's watching. Watching how they burn. And they're all burning. He's watching how they burn. He wants to, they're lampstands. They're put on lights and so that they can be seen by the world and seen by our God. I'm now leaving and now you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. You're to let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your heavenly Father. How will the person at your work know about God unless you burn for God? Amen? No, do you understand? Revival doesn't happen. Transformation doesn't happen. The gospel doesn't get delivered without the church. That's God's method. I don't know why, but that's His method. And that's how He's chosen to take the foolishness of this gospel through men and women around the world. And He's going to have a church and He cares about that golden church. And He's walking patiently in the midst of her. He's walking in the midst of the candlesticks and He's making sure they burn bright. Now these seven churches that He mentions here, that He mentions in chapter 1 and he, now we get a look at them in chapter 2. These seven churches are real churches. But uh, what I want, and we talk about them last week they are in like a kind of a this um this perfect postal route where the first one's going to be delivered to Ephesus and then they're just going to go right around the horn and they're going to be taken of what God wants to get this revelation of himself and, and what the plan of God is for us. And, and so it's two literal churches there, but, but, but there's an, another thing that we've got to understand too. It's not just to them, but it's to us today. It's to the churches throughout all time that these are practical and these are relevant and he is speaking to us through them and we're going to look at that today and if, and if I were to ask a question to myself and to you it's this what letter would Jesus write to us today at Brookside 
What letter would he write to us if he were going to write a letter? Because again, it's symbolic throughout the, the, the church ages. This is symbolic. He's speaking to us right here through these churches and in these letters. And if I had to take one for us uh, of one of the most, one of the ones I would pick out for us is the book of is, is the Ephesians church, Ephesus. And, 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 and that's the first one he comes to. And I think Jesus is speaking. And here's my fear today. My fear is this, and I want you to hear it well. The people who need this, my fear is that you won't hear this. No, I'm going to say it again because I feel it right just falling. You're right. Preach on, Pastor. That's me. Because I'm too proud to listen. Because I don't need anything. And you can't hear Jesus anymore because you're hard heart. And my fear is because I come every Sunday and I feel it. You've been saved so long and in church so long, you, don't have to, you know everything and you don't have to listen anymore. And there's never an altar call for you. Never an altar call because you don't need to repent for anything. And for those, I'm scared that as this Jesus walks and inspects these churches and he's walking through this one, that, that, that he wants to say something to the pastor here and to all of us here. And my fear today is that there are people who need to hear this and yet you will not hear it. And then my other fear is that there are people here who don't need to hear this and you'll be tormented by it. And that's not my goal here today at all. My goal is to let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And that's the goal of Jesus right here. And so let him who hears, has ears listen. And because at the core of Ephesus is what he says very first is, I know your works. That's the very first thing he says to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, Brookside. I know your works. Paul planted this church. And probably was the first church planted. And out of this church, probably they helped plant the other six. That, that, that's what we seem to think about maybe is, is what happened. They probably sent resources, financial, uh, maybe even people out of that church. But, 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 but it was started by Paul, and they had some phenomenal people in the church of Ephesus. I mean, they had, some, they had Paul. They had Paul, when he decided to leave later, said, I'm going to send to you a fine young man, and he's going to be an amazing, uh, my protege, my, my son in the Lord. I'm going to send you Timothy. There's none like him. He's an amazing God and I'm going to send you Timothy you also had Priscilla and you had Aquila I think you even you you had so many great and one maybe even Apollos there if I'm if my memory serves me right but or that was Corinth but you had so many people here at Ephesus that were amazing it was started from a riot in Acts chapter 19 Paul is there and literally the town gets turned upside down because this is a town that has all kinds of Diana worship and it has his Caesar worship. It has snake worship. It has prostitutes. It has temple prostitutes. It, it is a corrupt place and a corrupt town. And all of a sudden, out of a riot, when Paul starts preaching in this place, many get converted and other people get ticked off. And all of a sudden, they come and they clash when people are going and they're burning their witchcraft books and they're burning their idols. And they're, they're, the money people who make money off the idols are getting concerned and getting kind of mad because the truth 
truth is being taught and people are converting and Paul, we're going to kill this guy. We're going to get him and we're going to kill him. And so a riot starts. And so we see this place where this awesome church is at. And, and, and Paul, it's probably one of the last churches that Paul spoke to uh, before he, he went on to uh, Jerusalem or to Rome. It's the, one of the last churches he got the whole church together or the elders. He's over in Miletus or somewhere and he calls and says, I want to talk to Ephesus. Get the elders over here. And here's what he begins to tell them before he's about to be taken and tried and all sorts of things. One of the last words Paul has to the, to the church leaders and he says, night and day I pled for you in tears, Paul writes. And he says, I tried to show you that there would be wolves. After my departure, wolves are going to come into this flock and they're not going to spare you. They're going to come in and they're going to try to dissuade you somehow that for you to get off track. And he's saying, I'm warning you about this. And this is what Paul, or John now is writing here. He's saying, I know your works. I know you're a hard working church. He goes on to say, your toil and your patient endurance. In other words, there, you stood up under everything. You stood up under hard, difficult things that came your way. And then he says, but you cannot bear those which are evil. In other words, you can't bear those who teach false doctrines or false teaching. If somebody was to get up in this pulpit, just like I think here, if somebody was to get up in this pulpit and preach something contrary to doctrine or scripture, I have no doubt my phone would ring off the hook from this congregation. Because I, I know that about this church. I know you love the word deeply and you're looking and you're reading and you're looking to see if there's, is that guy or that woman or that person saying uh, uh, what they're saying, does it match up and line up with scripture? That's something that's near and dear to our hearts. And if they are, he goes as far as to say, uh, you, 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 don't, you don't even put up with it, you cast them out. You don't invite them to your pulpit to speak again. You get rid of them. You cast them out. And, and that's this church. And if you were to look and stop at that point, Daniel, at that point, you know what I'd say? Charisma Magazine, that's church of the year. That's church of the year. I know your hard work. I know you toil and you labor, you bear up under evil and you, you, you don't put up with it, you don't tolerate it. I know that you don't look at uh, false teaching to come in, you're, 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 you're looking at the Word of God, you cast out that which is not good, and you'd be thinking, man, this, and, and they do it for His namesake. Not for their own self, they do it for Him, for His namesake. Man, that's a good church at that point. But... Nevertheless, I have this against you. Now, I want you to see, everybody thinks, oh, big whoop, Brad says that to us. Brookside, there's something against you. Big whoop, John wrote a letter. No, this is the cosmic Jesus. This is the one with fire in his eyes, Raymond. This is the one with burnished brass feet that know how to judge. This is the one with a sword coming out of his mouth that will smite the nations and, and deal with any false teaching or false preaching going on in his church. This is the Jesus who is big. This is the Jesus who is strong. This is the Jesus who loves his church and won't allow anything to hurt her. This is the Jesus who, who will fight against you himself with a sword out of his mouth if 
he needs to to protect her. But here's what he says. Nevertheless, the one with the sound of many waters now, the one with a roar in his voice, has put a letter in this messenger's hand, and he stands up in front of this congregation in Ephesus, probably trembling, and he begins with a roar of God's Word, to, which is what God's Word does when you open the pages of it. It roars and thunders at us, and he begins to open here to the church at Ephesus. I know your works. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. It's kind of like this. My wife's gone to take her dad, mom, somewhere to visit some family. And let's say she came home when she comes home from this little trip. And she says, I'm home, man of my dreams. I'm dreaming right now. Let me dream for a minute. I missed you, darling. I'm going to get in here and I'm going to cook you the best supper you've ever had in your life. I'm going to sit you down on the couch and I'm going to massage your feet. That is a dream. It's usually the other way around. And I'll tell you what, after that, if you still feel up to it, who knows what will happen. And all of a sudden, she finishes everything she's going to say to me, and she says this, but I don't love you. That's deflating. Right? I don't love you. What? What? And, and, and that's what's taking place here, is this church has checked so many boxes. And yet they were doing all these things, and when they started out, they loved Jesus. But now they've started over time loving doing what they do more than loving Jesus. Oh, we got to get here Wednesday night, and let me impress you with my Bible. No. Oh, i got to get here Sunday and open up the Word of God. i got a good one this week, and I've really studied hard. And, and all of a sudden, man, now, hey, I've done this, and I've done that. And, I, and we've studied it. We, we really love singing songs and all of this. And the things we do now... We love more than the one we used to do it for. You've lost your first love. And Jesus wants to be the focal point of our affections. That's what he's saying here. I want to be your, the focal point. I want to be the center of your affections. So the question is, how is your passion for Jesus? How is your passion for Jesus? These are the ones I'm worried about. The ones who's not going to ask the question. Because quite honestly, I'm your preacher's concerned about his own. How is your passion for Jesus? How, how is your affection? Where, you know, where is your, where is your passion for the Lord? Remember, he says, from where you have fallen. Go back and remember from where you have fallen. Do you remember the first time you experienced Jesus? Do you remember? Do you remember walking six feet off the ground? Do you remember skipping like light as the world that my sins are forgiven? That I am truly forgiven? No, you don't know how bad I was. That the things I was, my mind was a living hell and they're gone. 
The blood of Jesus Christ has wiped them away. I'm clean. He receives me. He's accepted me. The people that have wrecked their lives, they don't love me, but He loves me. And I told everybody, I'm like, how does, how does my mom and dad not know this? How does my sister, how does my brother, how, do, how does the people at work not know this? I've got to tell them it's my job to tell them how wonderful this Christ is. Man, I was doing things like every t- chance I got a break. When I started reading this book, I like went to church all my life, never read it. Now I'm going bananas. I got this little Gideon Bible in my pocket. And every time I got a second to get away and do something, something i'm in there reading some more i'm like wow wow i had to put the book down and just go wow when's the last time you read the word of god had to put it down and go my god i praise you you're awesome i used to be the political man i was going to be a politician thank god for god man where I used to be going through, to, hey, vote for this one, vote for that one, do this, watch out for NAFTA, do this, do that. I did that at work. They probably hated me. Well, now they got, they got the Jesus freak walking the house, making copies, handing out tracts, doing everything I can. You've got to know him. You've got to be forgiven. You've got to feel what I feel. You've got to know. And sadly, you know, I'd go to church every time the doors would open. You remember that first love of Jesus? You come in the doors every time and you wonder why the rest of the people aren't as excited as you are? No, come on. Come on, sad looking people. You wonder why they're not praising as much as, and dancing and as, 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 as exuberant as you are? We're talking about first love. You didn't care. You didn't care what anybody thought. You were there and you're worshiping Jesus. You bothered, I bothered people to death asking them questions. What does this mean? What does this mean? Is John the Baptist the same as John? Is John the Baptist is in prison? What's going on? Does this mean this? Does that mean that? I mean, I was going every time I turn around. I got to know what this means. And they didn't share the same excitement because they've been in it so long. Eh. He says, dig back. Remember from where you fall in Brookside Church of God. Remember Brad Lindsay 1994. For some of you, it's way back before that. Remember 1970. Remember the Jesus movement. Remember when you couldn't wait to get to revival. Remember when you couldn't wait to read your Bible. Remember when everybody else had to wait, but, and then you came to me. Now I have to wait, and everybody else gets your time. Dig back, remember, and repent. That word that we've cast out of Christianity in the modern day. Repent, 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 repent. Which means return, return and go the other way. Which means a lack of love for Jesus. Which is sin. Let him who has ears hear. If you have a lack of love for Jesus, you're in sin. I'm in sin. And quite honestly, I'm worried about this in my own life. Because there's so many things vying for the affection. Of us today. So many things that want to rob our time. 
So many things. Look, this first love concept is not just found in Ephesus in the first place in the Bible. It's found through all throughout the body. How about Deuteronomy? You'll know this, Patty. Every little Jewish girl would know this. Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your mind. Love God with all your strength. Or the prophets or, 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 or the Pharisees are coming to Jesus later on and they're saying it again. Teacher, Rabbi, tell us what is the greatest commandment? Well, it's to love me with everything. To love me with everything. Everything. Everything within you. Brad, do you love me with all your heart? Do you love me with all your mind? Do you love me with all your soul? If not, it's insufficient. Matthew 10, 37. Whoever or unless you love me more than father or mother or sister or brother is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter or grandchild or great-grandchild or great-great-great-grandchild more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, whatever they are, I am greater. And personally, I've seen some of the way that we love our grandkids and we love our kids. And I think there's a pretty close run for that in Jesus. And I think Jesus is the one having to play the catch-up. Or our jobs. Or our money. He says, whatever they are, I'm greater. And he says, he says if, if you love me, if you don't love me this way, then repent. And I believe there's people in this room playing games. I believe it. I believe there's people going through the motions now. I believe this pastor's one of those. And I'm, I'm, I'm hearing these messages. And, 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 and we read. We, we think we got this thing. We think we've been doing it so long. I, will I read my Bible? Will I pray? What more you want out of me, Brad? Will I read my Bible. I pray. I, I, I teach. I, 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 I do sermons and study the sermons. I, 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 I raise my kids in church. But are you passionately pursuing those things or are you passionately pursuing me? How many entered here today saying, I cannot wait. I'm going to, with my brothers and sisters, radically pursue this cosmic Jesus. When I enter this door, we are going to touch heaven. We are going to radically enter the presence of God. I'm going to hear the words, the roar out of His mouth. I'm going to get everything that I can get. Are we passionately pursuing Jesus? If not, repent, He says to this church, and do the first works. And the idea of this, please get this, is where we get our word liturgy or rhythm is what that means too. And basically he is saying it's this idea of keeping this thing of Christ in front of me constantly. Go back and keep Christ in front of you constantly because you put your eyes somewhere else. It's this idea of Matthew 6, 21 through 24. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, I've placed my affections and my attention somewhere else. 
My eyes used to be on Jesus every day, but now they've wandered over here. And what he's saying is, is where you put your eyes, don't worry, your heart's going to follow after that thing. And he's saying, so remember where you've fallen and get back to your first love and start putting me, liturgy, in front of you. In other words, go back to reading your Bible. Go back to praying. Not just so that you can, the majority of our time spent in churches today is praying for us. Oh God, heal my bunion. Oh God, heal my hemorrhoids. Oh God, heal this. That's fine. God wants to touch that. But more than anything else, we ought to be praying, oh God, let me see you. Oh God, let me know you oh God let me touch you oh God let me taste you and if he has it then I'm gonna pray your hemorrhoids don't get healed until you see him because maybe he's using those to help you right put that in the false uh the the uh prosperity gospel pipe and smoke it For where your treasure is, there your heart is. It's like saying, I hear it all the time. Pastor, you just don't understand. We've been married 10 years, and I don't love her anymore. And I say, no, you put your eyes somewhere else. And now your heart is followed. Put your eyes back on her, the wife of your first love, the, the, the original, and then the heart will follow suit. Because that's what he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, as I put Jesus Christ in front of me, my heart will follow right behind it. But when I move my heart to work, and work becomes the priority, then my heart will follow it, and Jesus will diminish. If I put it on the ballpark, if I put it on the lake, if I put it on my own safety, if I put it on my own pleasure, then my heart is going to follow that. And eventually, my love for Christ is going to wane. Welcome to America. Welcome to this church. Welcome to this pastor and everybody I know. Amen. Let's return to our first love. That's why I keep saying, please get in the Bible study. It's liturgy. It's rhythm. Get in a rhythm of getting up and getting on the church app and reading a chapter and commenting to brothers and sisters and, and, and reading the devotion. Get in the habit of turning praise music on and worshiping God every day. Get in the habit of coming to Wednesday night and fellowshipping over there and eating some supper and coming in and hearing Bible study and then coming in and being exhorted on Sunday. Get in a rhythm. Put liturgy in front of you. Be in a rhythm of this, he's saying, so that Christ is ever before you. But I don't feel like it. I don't care. Put Him in front of you and your heart will follow. The feelings will come back. But put it before you and go through the motions and keep doing it until make me the center of your life. And if you don't, I'm going to remove your lampstand. And guess what? History tells us that Ephesus started to die slowly. 
It's not there. The city's not there. The church is not there. It started to die. They moved their affections away from where they needed to be, and their hearts started to follow suit. Repent. Put him back before your eyes, or else you'll lose your influence in society. You'll lose your testimony. You won't be a light on the hill. You won't influence anybody. You'll be dark just like them. And nobody will be able to see and know your God. So Ephesus had misplaced affections. Now look at church number two, Pergamos. We're looking at five. Quickly, don't worry. Ephesus was the one I said I believe we wanted to see first. And I wanted to prove that as a point, number one, for us. Because I believe we're all in danger in a society like this of losing, misplacing affections and losing our first love. Especially in an America where trinkets are out there constantly to woo you. And you can have anything you want here to, 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 to cater to the flesh. And so, even in churches. And, and so, 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 we see that they started to lose their affection and slowly die. But look at the second church, Pergamos, now that their affections are misplaced, he finds somewhere to place them. He's not satisfied with just taking your eyes off of Jesus and putting them somewhere else. I've got somewhere else for you to put those affections. And that's what Pergamum, that's the problem they had in that place. And this is a steady digression of once you move your eyes off of, your affection goes. And the next thing you find yourself in is you find yourself putting those affections somewhere else. He tells the church at Pergamum, this is the place where Satan's throne is. This is the place where Zeus is. Is inside and being worshipped inside of Pergamum. This is the place where all kinds of idolatry worship is. This is the place where Caesar is worshipped. This is the place where worship is taking place all the other time. I got that a little mingled a while ago with Ephesus. But this is the place where Caesar worship and all this is taking place. And here's what he says to them. You didn't deny my faith in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, when he was martyred and who was killed among you where Satan dwells. I've been to the Pergamum Museum in Germany. I have seen this throne. I've seen this. I've seen this, this, this Zeus throne that they have there inside of this place. Unbelievable. It's like walking in, walking back in time and walking into Pergamum and you seeing this altar and all of these false gods that are around there. And it says in Revelation 2 13, it says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas. And then he says, but I have a few things against you because there are some of you who hold the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to be a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. What is he saying? Jesus is looking all the way back into the Old Testament and he's remembering the story of Balaam and he's saying Balaam taught Balak to get Israel to put their affection somewhere else. Someone besides God. So you've moved your affections. Here, put them on Zeus. Put them on Caesar. 
Put them, on, put them on women, put them on wine, put them on song, put them on money. And all of a sudden, he, he gives you something to put your affections into. And that's exactly what he does. These things look good. Some of them look good. Some of them are good. Some of them are family. Some of them are grandchildren. Some of them are, 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 are things that are actually are, are husbands and wives. And Satan is especially good in drawing us away and into these things that seem good but misplacing our affections away from Christ so that we are totally ensnared and drawn and worshiping that thing now rather than Christ. Amen? The the third church is Thyatira. And he says, once you've taken your affections off of me, once you've misplaced them and put them somewhere else, he says to this next church in Thyatira, he says, now I'm going to surround you with people who tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to surround you with Jezebel teachers who are going to tell you it's okay to fornicate. It's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. It's okay. And I'm going to encourage you to commit sin and fornication and idol worship. And and we see this in the American church so much so where they took their affections off of Christ and they put them into building little empires and kingdoms for some man or for themselves and now all of a sudden there's this worship that is away from God and it's on to something else and it's absolutely unbelievable and we've got these surrounded ourselves with entire congregations our entire friendships with people that have all kinds of doctrine but it's not the doctrine that's found in this book amen And buddy, when you get somebody that believes a false doctrine, let me tell you what kind of demons you are fighting. Because I'm seeing people, man, when you, when you take a stand just to come out and, 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 and to come away from the evil of this society, if there's somebody that thinks it, it's okay, man, they love their stuff. They love their books, they love their movies, they love their, their companies now, and they will not leave them come hell or high water. You can see immediately where their treasure is. You can see immediately what they love more than God because they don't esteem God's Word enough to, to come apart from this world and be ye separate, saith God, and touch not the unclean thing. And you can see it all day long. And they will fight you. They will fight you. They will leave churches. They will get angry at you and leave. But you know what? Uh, I'm still sticking with God. I'm sticking with the book. I'm sticking with what never changes, folks. I got news for you. This word never changes, and I got news for you. The Constitution of the United States never changes and should not change either. I'll just throw that in there a little bit for uh, whatever reason that you might need to hear that. Amen? So they, 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 they turn their affections away. Then there's something Satan subtly gives you to put your affections into. Then he surrounds you with all kinds of people like Thyatara who will tell you it's okay to do all these things. And then fourth church, uh, the fourth church is Sardis. Anybody who goes down this route, that church dies. You misplace your affections. You put your affections into something else. You surround yourself with all kinds of liars and different people. You're going to die. You're going to die individually and you're going to die as a congregation. And then the way you're going to end up is the fifth church in Laodicea. You're going to be so nauseating to me, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I have no use for you. 
the progress from the beginning to the end is you become nauseous to me. And here's my question to us today. If you'll just be honest, aren't you sick of half-hearted Christianity? No, I mean, I'm sick at myself. I want to spew myself out sometimes. I mean, aren't you tired of going through the motions? Aren't you tired of lifeless Christianity? No power in Christianity? Coming in here, fighting with each other, not giving a rip about the, the lost outside the doors? Caring only about us? Ticking boxes of how much work we've done? I want to see him. I want to see him. I want to know him. I want, I, want, I, want, I, want to, I want to see him do great things through the body of Christ again. I want to see the church alive. I want to see the church resurrected in power. I want to see us filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to see what happened on the day of Pentecost and even greater. I want greater works to happen now in the name of Christ through our hands. I want him to stretch forth his hands through us and to touch people and to heal them. I want to see chains falling. I hear those chains falling. I don't hear any chains falling. I hear I want to hear those. I don't see those. And here's what he says. He says, here's what I'll do for those. He says, for those who don't passionately pursue me, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. But he says, for those who passionately pursue me, and I close. Here's what he says. It's unbelievable. Go to the next one. For those who passionately pursue me, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name on it written on that stone that no one knows except him who receives it himself. That's such intimacy there. That is such a closeness with our God that he's allowing a stone, hidden manna, and, and a name that nobody knows. Look what he goes on to say. For those who passionately pursue me, I will give them the morning star. For those who passionately pursue me, he says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. For those who pursue me, he says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he never shall he go out of it. He'll be able to stay in the temple of God forever and ever and ever. He just gives promise after promise after promise. The next one he says, I will grant to him to sit on my throne as I conquered and now sat down with my father on his throne. And what he's saying and what I'm saying to you at the end of this message is Jesus is saying it's worth it. It's worth it. The pursuit of me is absolutely worth it. This is what you get. This is what is promised to those who pursue me. So put me in the forefront of your heart and the forefront of your eyes and follow me and follow me into this life and follow me into this place. And Jesus is screaming to us today and saying, Brookside Church of God, I want your affections. I want your affections. I want your affections again. And so that's the call. That's the call. Is passionately pursue Jesus. He's worth it. He is worth it. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, even when we face difficulties, there's a reason why you're allowing difficulties. And it's so we can find a renewed heart for Jesus. And I believe that's what you're after in the United States right now is you are trying to find 
that even when we go through difficult hour like we're in and we're going to be in, you're looking for the American people to renew their heart for Jesus. A nation and a people that once loved you. A nation and a people who once put God first and, and the house of God first. A nation that once was raised up as a nation. There is no doubt about this whatsoever. They can re make revision history all they want to do. A nation that was raised up to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. A nation that the pilgrims landed upon Plymouth, Massachusetts and half of them died. And they threw a Mayflower compact. They... They covenanted with God. They covenanted with God that this would be a nation and a people that would esteem God's Word and would take God's Word to the corners of the earth. And God, you raised up out of 51 men, somehow and women, miraculously, they lived. And God, this nation grew up into an amazing, amazing sending nation, an amazing missionary nation that sent the gospel all over the world, God. And we did, and our works were good. God, there was a lot of works that we did, God. And we didn't tolerate false doctrines. In fact, at that time, we kept out other religions and we kept out false religions and we, and we did the right things, God. And we did it for your name's sake. But somewhere along the line, God, somewhere our affections turned Somewhere our hearts got hard and somewhere we put our, put our eyes on the stock market. Somewhere we put our eyes, God, on our pride of our military and what we can do. Somewhere, God, our eyes and our hearts got turned that we can put a man on the moon, God, and we can do anything. And, and, and God, somewhere, God, we began to, we begin to get self-absorbed and we began to say, God, we got it from here. We got it from here. Look at the works we do. Look at what we've done in this nation. And we began to get our eyes off of you and our hearts begin to turn towards you and not long we're now in courts and people are saying we don't need God in school we don't need God in the courtroom we don't need God here and we don't need God there and we don't need the church out in the public and God our affections have turned and now we're worshiping all sorts of things and now we've got teachers all around us saying it's okay it's okay. God, there's something wrong when Congress cannot stand in front of a bathroom door and figure out if it's a man or a woman. There's something wrong when we take your idea of marriage and we say, we got it and we know better. And there's something wrong when we stand in pulpits and we don't stand up to this stuff, God. And we let people die and go to hell all in the name of tolerance and that we don't love. Fooey. Dear God, help us. We are a confused people. We are such a messed up people. We need you, God. The church is as confused as the world. No wonder the world doesn't come to the church. We're as, we're, we're as, we're, we're as intertwined and intermixed with the world as, as we can be. Dear Father, help us to set our affections on things above. Dear God, start with this preacher. I'm as, I'm as guilty as anyone. Dear God, help us. Help us. Help us to put you first. Help us to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And all these things will be added unto it. Oh God, awaken our souls. Awaken our hearts.
In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.